You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So good to see you guys. Can you hear that back there? So for those of us who have been with us, for those who have been with us, we have been going through a series in Acts. And just a very brief review. The past three weeks, we focused on this topic of discipleship. Before that, it was quite a few weeks on evangelism, then discipleship. New believers need to be discipled. Christian disciples, they're learners, they're followers of Christ and his teachings. In order to grow into strong, solid Christians and serve effectively in the kingdom, new believers need to be correctly taught. They need to have a godly example to follow. Good teaching, good example equals a strong disciple. The goal in discipleship? For all believers becoming more and more like Christ, conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8, 29, becoming more and more Christ-like. We have one mission, it's to tell others about Jesus, and under that we have various assignments. But we all have one goal, and it's the same for all of us, and it's to become more and more like Christ. Are we good with that? There's a lot of people out there, and I'm not really hearing much in the way of response. Where's my brother Art? Thank you. Now this week, and it's interesting that you're here today, this week is a completely different theme. It's a different topic. You may find this passage interesting, to say the least. Brandon, if you'll come, we'll stand together. We'll honor God's word together as Brandon reads. Acts 19, 11 through 20. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priests were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Thank you, Brandon. And you may be seated. Today's title, Extraordinary Things. We'll break this passage, verses 11 through 20, down into two parts. 
This week, just verses 11 and 12 with a title of Extraordinary Things. Next week, verses 13 through 20 with a title of Exorcism Gone Bad. Just an FYI, the following week then is the baptism, August 21st. Sunday, right here, 10 o'clock. We'll set up the portable baptistry right in the service and, and we'll baptize. If you're interested, I need to talk with you. I, I need to find out some things. So please see me. Don't wait to the last minute. Then it might be too late. So Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Never a good idea to begin a message with a disclaimer. But this passage, this passage warrants one. If this did not come up in the sequence of our series through Acts, I probably wouldn't speak on it. If this was not scripture, I probably would not believe it. But it has come up in our series, so I must speak on it. And it is scripture, so I must believe it. And I do. There's two traps to avoid. Chris Firestein, you should appreciate this, this slide in your line of work. There's two traps to avoid when speaking on a passage such as this from Scripture. One is not to embellish it, not to sensationalize it. It's easy to do that because it is, by its very nature, kind of sensational, right? Right? Think about it. Anointed hankies and aprons, folks getting healed, demons flee. That's kind of sensational out of the ordinary. The other trap is not to diminish it and not to water it down. That's also very easy to do, especially if you haven't experienced anything like this. We, unfortunately, in the church today, for the most part, have no frame of reference from which to understand a passage like this. It's not been our experience. Amen? We've got to avoid both of those traps. We can't embellish it and sensationalize it, and we can't diminish it or water it down. We have to teach it. We have to preach it just as it is, the timeless, error-free Word of God, and we need to see what he has to say about that verse from us, about these things for us, I mean. And by the way, for those of you who have been with us for any length of time, this is not the first difficult verse or passage that God has had us face. We have had precedent. Remember this verse? John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So easy to read, so hard to believe to our own detriment. God has brought us face to face with this verse many times recently. And he's challenged us to believe for it. And we're trying. But there's still this level of unbelief that holds us back. 
If you agree with anything I say, you are definitely allowed to say something. Amen. Preach it, pastor. So be it. Whatever you want to yell out, Richard. I know you like yelling out when you're in church. Everybody at one time. Let's hear what it would sound like. And amen. Ready? That's what I need. Now, there is actually a reason why God is emphasizing these truths, why he's bringing us face-to-face with some of these hard verses for us in Christianity and Western culture in the 21st century. And I want to give us what that reason is, but it comes in the conclusion. It comes in the application. I just want to make some brief commentary on John 14, 12. It says, anyone who believes in me. Many want to read that as, for the apostles of Jesus' day only. Or others read it as, this was for the disciples and the church of the first century. Until the New Testament writing was complete, then it stopped and then it ceases. The belief is that verses such as this are no longer applicable to the church today. That also has been to our detriment and our own hurt. This is my opinion. You certainly can disagree. I have studied out both of these options, and I've studied them extensively. I've studied out the the theory or position that it was only for the apostles, or it was only until the word of God was complete, that the supernatural, extraordinary works of God were no longer needed. They stopped. Again, you can certainly disagree with this conclusion, but my conclusion, I have found no scriptural evidence, none whatsoever, to verify either one of these opinions, either one of these positions. Strictly going by scripture, not what I feel, not what I think, I have found no reason to believe that the supernatural, extraordinary works of God through ordinary believers has not stopped. It has not ceased. Not in God's mind. The main reason those positions have been adopted by much of the church is to explain away our lack of experience of it. I've never experienced it. I've never seen it. So therefore, it cannot be true. cannot happen. Have you ever seen a million bucks? But you know it exists. As far as I'm concerned, this says what it means. This means what it says. There's no distinction between apostle and ordinary believer. Anyone means exactly that. Anyone, any believer that is, anyone who has put their faith in me, trusts in me, and has given their life to me, this is for you. Any believer, there's no delineation of times or ages or dispensations. We're still in the church age from the ascension to the rapture is the church age. Everything that was true for them is true for us. Satan has deceived us into thinking it's not. You notice it actually says, he who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Not even can or might. It reads, will do the same works that I have done. Jesus himself said it. And now we have a choice to believe it or not believe it. From my point of view, hey, I'm just preaching the word here. I'm not embellishing it, 
and I'm not watering it down. I'm telling you what the Word says. And as you need to know more about that, you take it to the one who authored the Word. And you find out what he's saying about it. More than man's opinion. So back to Acts 19. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them. So since we are choosing to believe this is true, the next obvious question is, what do you even do with it? Is there any kind of practical application for our daily Christian living from a passage like this? What say you, yes or no? Is there any practical application for our daily living, Christians living today, from a verse like this? Yes or no? I say yes. Some of you say yes. But I don't think the application lies in the specifics. Healing hankies and healing aprons. We get ourselves in trouble when we make that the focus and we want to see that very exact specific thing repeated. Never healed anybody that I know of. Well, maybe me if I blow my nose with it. So we can't get caught up in the specifics, hankies and aprons. I don't think healing hankies and healing aprons is the main thing on which Luke wanted us to focus. That just happens to be the facts of how God worked in this specific instance. There's something behind this that Luke wants to get out to the people, to the readers, to us today. Those are not the primary focus, hankies and aprons. They are a means to get to a primary focus. And the primary focus is a principle. There's a principle that Luke wants his readers to get and which we desperately need to get in the church today. By the way, just an FYI, hankies and aprons, that refers to the sweat cloths and the coverings that Paul, Paul wore in his trade. He was a tent maker or a leather worker. And he wore sweat cloths because of the heat, and he wore coverings so he didn't get stuff on him. That's what they were taking and sending out, and people were getting healed and delivered. That's what they're talking about. But there's a principle, a greater principle behind this scene. If you, if you push it back and you look below the surface, you're going to find this principle. Did you read it? And you didn't say amen when you read it? Still reading? The, the gospel message is to be accompanied by and authenticated by. That just means um, witnessed to or made true or verified, validated. The gospel message is to be accompanied by and authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders. Amen. Wow. That's the principle behind what Luke is writing as he gives us the facts of what was happening. Luke has always paid special attention to the extraordinary, to the supernatural things that God has been doing. He has taken great care in his gospel and now in the book of Acts to see that this got in there and we get to know it. Now, for those of us who are hesitant to believe, hang in there with me. I'm going to give you some explanation. You're still going to have, to have, a, you're still going to have a choice. You're going to have to choose to believe or not believe 
But hang in there with me as we explain this. You remember two weeks ago we came across some believers, Apollos, and then 12 believers outside of Ephesus, and they were doing okay. And they were believers, but they had an incomplete understanding. Where's my tech guy? connected. Oh, there he is. Okay. Thank you. Your pastor's totally lost when this thing goes off. So we had come across some Believers, Apollos and 12 believers outside of Ephesus who had an incomplete understanding of the Christian life and the experience. They were believers, but they weren't fully instructed. They needed to be instructed more. They needed to be instructed more accurately in the ways of the Lord, how the Lord moves, how the Lord operates. Perhaps that's the case for many in the church today. We need to understand more accurately Signs and wonders, miraculous signs and wonders. We need to understand what the purpose of those things are. We need to understand what the role of those things are. We We need to understand the necessity of those things. I thought in my early Christian days they were optional. God has changed my mind. They're not optional. They're necessary. They're essential. They're imperative. They're critical to effective kingdom ministry. There's a purpose for miraculous, miraculous signs and wonders, and it's not just to be sensational. The purpose of signs and wonders is actually twofold. God is greatly glorified. Folks come to belief, faith in Christ as Savior. That's the purpose. That's the role of supernatural, miraculous signs and wonders. God works. Through the presence and the witness of miraculous signs and wonders, which is simply the display of the mighty supernatural power of our God. That's all they are. We can't make it too complicated. It's our supernatural, all-powerful God moving in a way that transcends earthly life. It's a display of his power. And that's what we're longing for. We came to know him, some of us, decades ago. And we've been longing for a display of his power ever since. Our nation is desperately crying out for a display of God's power to unseat entrenched evil. God is greatly glorified. Folks come to belief, to faith in Christ our Savior. Listen. Make no mistake about this. God receives great glory when people are healed and people are set free. We have a tendency to think God doesn't want to heal and we have to begging him. Maybe if we beg him enough, he will. When the opposite is true, he wants to heal more than we expect him to heal. He loves to heal. He delights in healing. One of his names is Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. 
He gave the church prescriptions for healing. People in Corinthians carrying the gift of healing. The book of James giving the healing ministry to the elders. And just to us as ordinary believers, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. God loves to heal. Satan tells us he doesn't. Satan tells us he loves sickness. And we now have a sickness consciousness instead of a Christ healing, health, strength, vitality, energy consciousness. We embrace too many things in our lives that are not of God. But we've been taught to believe they're of God. Many are drawn to Christ when signs and wonders are occurring. Not everyone. There are those who even resist that and stand against God. But many who might not come any other way come through the witness of signs and wonders and miracles and God's supernatural work in us and through us. It's all through Scripture. Every post-biblical revival that I am aware of, any mighty move of God I've ever read about or studied of any century, of any nation, of any culture, was always accompanied by tremendous supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles, the bulk of which was healing and deliverance, healing and being set free. And that resulted in God being greatly glorified and many salvations occurring. God is supernatural. God desires and he delights to move supernaturally. He delights to save, deliver, and to bless people, cultures, communities, nations. And we'll especially see this at the end of next week's message, the way this passage closes out. Brandon read all of it for us, but we're only dealing with the first two verses today. So for now, to move towards a close, we're going to have some biblical support for our principle. Remember, our principle is this. The gospel message, kingdom work, is to be accompanied by, it's to be authenticated by, miraculous signs and wonders. That's the way it should be. What we experience as Christianity in our day is an aberration of biblical Christianity. It's an aberration of the way it should be. Always a good starting place, the example of Jesus. Jesus arrived at Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and she prepared a meal. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. Just a note on exorcism. This is more for next week. It's not a power encounter. It's an authority encounter. We don't battle a demon strength to strength. We just simply speak the authority name of Jesus, and it has to go. There's no three-hour power struggle. If that's happening, something's wrong. Man, there's so many verses that we could use to support our principle. This one relates to Jesus. His ministry was saturated with supernatural miracles, signs, and wonders. The founder of our denomination, A.B. Simpson, had a miraculous uh, healing and recovery of a heart ailment that was about to take his life. And God began to really teach him about healing. And in his book, Genuine Gold, well, it's a book written about him. In the book, Genuine Gold, he is, quoting as, he is quoted as saying of believers and the church, if we're not supernatural, if we're not moving in the supernatural, 
If we're not seeing the supernatural, then we're not anything. In other words, if the church isn't experiencing this stuff, we got nothing to combat the world, the flesh, and the devil. God gave us these things. He does this thing, these things to combat our enemies. Several years ago at a district conference, our DS, who is not known for this at all, he shocked, he shocked many of us. Not all the pastors at the DS liked this or bought into it. I did. I was among a group of guys who really did. But this mild-mannered, meek district superintendent walked into the conference and preached a message entitled, Stepping into the Supernatural. In it, he challenged us pastors, are you praying Acts chapter 4 over your congregation? And Acts chapter 4 that he was referring to says, now, Lord, embolden your servants to speak your word boldly. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Stretch forth your hand to heal and to do mighty signs and wonders and miracles through the name of your holy servant, Jesus he challenged, his challenge to us was, if you're not praying that over your church, why not? It's to be expected. It's needed. You could say in kingdom work, we need to experience the supernatural moves and works of God. The supernatural should actually become natural to the Christian. Because we are no longer just flesh and blood. Oh, I'm, I'm only human. Oh, that is not actually true. If you've accepted Jesus, you are no longer only human. You are indwelt by the fullness of God. You are partakers of the nature of God. What? Yeah, you have a dual nature. You're both human and divine. And anybody that says, well, sure, Jesus did those things. He was God. They don't understand. Jesus said his God qualities aside, and everything he did, he did as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he said, now I'm giving my Holy Spirit to you, and that's why he says the things that I'm doing, you can do or you will do. We always say you can do. He said you will do. The supernatural should be becoming natural to believers into the church, and it should get the attention of the world. Yeah, but you know, that just might make the world a little uneasy. We want the world to be uneasy. Amen. That might just get their attention. We don't really want it drawn towards us because we're not much, are we, James? But we want it drawn through us to our God. He's everything. Here's another verse, interesting. Wherever he went, Jesus, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him, or all who touched the fringe, the tassels of his robe, were healed. I only wanted to include this because... Now, in this verse, I know Jesus is there. In Acts, Paul's not actually there. His hankies and his aprons are being sent out. But the thought here is that power went forth even from his garments. So what was happening with Paul is not unheard of. People just touched Jesus' cloak or his robe, and they were healed. 
Helps a little bit, perhaps, with the whole hanky and aprons thing. Now the example of the apostles. A man lame from birth was being carried in, and when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. The man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, he stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then he shared the gospel with the crowd. They shared the gospel with the crowd that had gathered because of this amazing, supernatural, miraculous event, the healing of the lame man. People gathered because of that. Then they heard the gospel, and it says that either the church swelled to 5,000 or 5,000 were added through that. It's not actually clear, at least not to me, but 5,000 touched over that one healing of a lame man coming to Christ. Makes 100,000 seem doable. More and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went. Crowds came from the villages bringing their sick, those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed, many of them by Peter's shadow. So you come across a passage in Acts 19 like we just read, and we're like, wow, that's so unheard of. That's so whacked out. No, wait a minute. If you really start looking at Scripture, we got precedent. Jesus, the tassels of Jesus' robe, the shadow of Peter, healing and deliverance. There's so many verses we could use. I included this because it's not hankies and aprons, but it's something very extraordinary, Peter's shadow. God used even Peter's shadow to release his power to heal and to deliver. God used Paul's hankies and aprons to release his power to heal and to deliver and to save. Amazing, huh? This is Paul now. There's some teaching in here, some experience and some teaching for us. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I have done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully, fully, fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Keep this in mind. Full proclamation. Full proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Things that he said, word, talk, things that he had done. And here it's not referring to acts of kindness and goodness. It's referring to supernatural, extraordinary signs, wonders, and miracles. Those two things together were very effective in kingdom work. Paul's ministry was definitely marked by the presence of miracles, signs, and wonders. A full proclamation of the gospel is to include miraculous signs and wonders, supernatural, extraordinary works of God in and through his people, through believers, through the church. Paul, again, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Again, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. This verse pretty much outright supports our principle to a T, our main point for today. The gospel message is to be proven. It's to be accompanied by and it's to be authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders. Another teaching from Paul. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk only, but a matter of power. Can I tell you something just very bluntly? Sure. Talk is not enough. Maybe you've noticed that. We're not really being that, all that effective, are we? Talk is not enough. Talk's about all we had for decades, maybe century. As Satan deceived us into thinking that these things aren't for today, now you have the gospel message. Now the New Testament is complete. That's all you need. I'm here to tell you now, from a study of Scripture, not from an opinion, talk is not enough. It doesn't cut it. Got to have the power. Where's the power? Every one of us sitting in here who knows the Lord has the fullness of the Holy Spirit within us. Where's the power? I'm looking at myself. Where's the power? To impress the world for Jesus. Nothing about you, nothing about me, all about him. Where is the power? Rhetorical question because we don't know. But we're seeking. We're trying to learn. He's calling. He's calling the church. If you have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, you can't get away from this calling in these days. Because it's so vitally necessary in these days. We need a powerful church to fight a powerful enemy. We need a powerful church to unseat powerful evil in high places in our nation and in the world. Jesus said so clearly, hey, I'm going to build a church. And the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevent it, but prevail against it or overcome it. And somehow in the last few decades, we've got an opinion that God built a church but basically the enemy is prevailing and the church can't stand against it. That gripes me. And I'm, I'm guilty, but that gripes me. I don't want it to be like that anymore. The church today seems to be greatly lacking in this area. Not the entire church, because you know there's pockets where God is moving like this. Especially overseas. But generally speaking, the church today seems to be greatly lacking in this area. Perhaps that's why Satan has appeared to be winning the day for so long, for so many years. Perhaps that's why so many precious souls are not coming to Christ that we love and we care about deeply. Perhaps that's why so many are not able to be set free from their sin, from their addictions, from all these evils that harm us. And we're not able to set them free. We might, be able, we might have enough power to bring them to an emotional sinner's prayer. But boy, we've noticed we don't have the power to really set them free. Amen. And yet we have the power to set them free. That's what we need to learn. 
together. The church has talked the talk, but have we displayed the power? Lastly for today, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. God still desires to confirm the gospel message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles of all types, hankies, aprons, the tassel of your, of your garment, a shadow, whatever God chooses to do. He may never do that exact thing again, but he has plans to do some pretty extraordinary things through those who will allow him. It might be through you. Oh, what? What did you say, Pastor? It might be through you, Sam. What do you think? It might be through me. I'll just stay back and teach you, and then it'll be through you. How's that sound? Uh-uh. No, I know. I've got to be out in the front lines. Deb knows she can attest whenever I put a sermon together, I have to live it before I can preach it. That's why I like preaching on blessing and peace <laughs> and favor. Not this kind of stuff. It's probably going to be through all of this. Every one of us who's willing, you're going to see God do so, such amazing things. Ephesians 3.20, I am able to do above and beyond anything you can ask or imagine. Well, I can't really ask or imagine him doing anything. Yeah, we haven't experienced it yet. But we're going to. What if they had told Peter back after he denied Christ, you know, one day... God's going to release healing power through your shadow when you're walking down the street. What do you think he would have said? Well, I felt the Lord spoke to me this morning, and I'm going to close with giving you what he said to me. This was very specific, and it was very specific this morning. Want to hear that? Most believers long in here to be used of God in mighty ways. Most believers long to be used of God in mighty ways. Most believers long to move in the supernatural and the extraordinary works of God and His Spirit. But we can't believe for it. That's what God is saying. My people long for this. That's the good side. But my people can't believe for it. He wants to change that. So practical application. What can we do? Should we you know, pray over our hankies and run out there and start giving our hankies to people? Or after we're done cooking, pray over our aprons and go give them to people? I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. Do you? Okay. What can we do, though? Well, it seems like God's pointing out a problem. You long for this. I've been able to get that far. But you can't believe for it. So the starting place is... Ask God to release faith to believe. Start there. Don't rush out and try and do something. Or you might end up like the sons of Sceva, which we're going to talk about next week, that got beat up by the enemy. Don't go running out trying to do something, although if God tells you to do something, do it. But start getting very serious with God and confessing unbelief. I don't really even think our unbelief is intentional. It's not we refuse to believe. It's I can't believe. I've never been taught. I've never seen it. Actually, I've been taught the opposite. Some of us have been taught the opposite of this. Man, all that has to be broken down before God can move through us. It starts with us in a 
in a position of repentance, I confess to you that I can't believe for that. I see it in Scripture. I know it's true. I've just always glossed over it. So I confess that I have chosen not to believe. I can't believe for it. And then ask God, release faith in me to believe. From there, it's very simple. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. What he tells you to do, do. The gospel message is to be accompanied by and authenticated by miraculous signs and wonders. Then and now. Application. The church is entering a season. Like it or not. The church is entering a season to which God is going to be doing extraordinary things. Supernatural moves. Supernatural works of God. That's what he's going to do. We can choose to be a part of that or we can choose to reject it for whatever reason. Will God stop loving me if I reject it? Not if you know him. It's an everlasting love. Will I lose my salvation, you know, if I don't? No. You accepted Christ, you are now his. Well, then what's the big deal whether I believe it or not? You are going to miss out on so much that God is doing, and you're going to regret it. You're going to regret it here and now. You're especially going to regret it at the judgment seat of Christ, which is not a punishment for sin. That's the great white judgment throne. The judgment seat of Christ is where we stand before the Lord as believers, and he says, Hub, this is what could have been. As God begins to move through us supernaturally, extraordinarily, he will be greatly glorified. Many will come to faith in Christ through this. Perhaps 100,000 souls just in this region. Will you stand with me? And Deb, if you'll come, and once we're all settled, the band coming up, let everybody get settled and then lead us in prayer. Thank you. about you guys but I am excited I'm excited about what God is going to be doing I'm excited about how he's going to use me and one of the words that I really liked was that embolden your people I want to be emboldened a term that I heard years ago was holy boldness Lord I want a dose of holy boldness so let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you, Father, that you have called us together as your people, that you have set before us a task that you want us to do. Father, show each one of us what you would have for us. Give us holy boldness. Embolden us, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Embolden us with your goals, with your purpose for our lives. Father, show us. Show us the gifts that you have given us. Lord, we just pray for an extra dose of your Holy Spirit, Father, to come upon us as we leave today and we try to reach the world for you. Father, I pray that when we come back next Sunday that we would have great stories to share and to tell, Father. And we would be bringing those people back with us that we talk to. And, Father, it's not going to happen overnight, although your word says that it can. So many were saved right then and there. Yep. But, Father, we're depending on you. We don't want to do anything through our own strength, through our own power, only through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's who we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.
thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.